We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. Sadly, we are talking about another Nets playoff loss to the Sixers, 84-96. The Nets fall down 2-0 in the series. How are we feeling? Frustrated, but despondent. A lot of other adjectives that I don't want to really think about, but, you know, we had that first half. 24 minutes was nice. Yeah, I mean, that was some good basketball. The Nets, I thought, defensively and energy-wise and hustle-wise really were locked in. Um, knocked down some shots, specifically Cam Johnson. That second half was pretty bad, especially offensively. 14 points in the third, 21 points in the fourth. We're going to jump with that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Jack, where do you want to start? Do we start with the good or the bad, Nick? Because we can start with the good with Cam J, or we can start with the bad with Crypto God Dinwiddie. Yeah, I think let's get with into Dinwiddie because um, – the impact it also has on other players, you know, specifically a Nicholas Claxton. You know, if your point guard isn't able to run the pick and roll and is not able to attack, you know, the coverages that they're throwing at you, it limits other players in your roster. And I thought Dinwiddie, especially in that first half, was terrible. He did improve a little bit in the second half, hit a couple shots, was able to generate some looks. But in that second half, it didn't matter because no one could knock down a three. No, in the second half, the Nets were 5 of 20 from 3. So, yeah, that's and not going to... a couple gonna... of them coming when the game was out of reach to an extent. Yeah, so 25% from 3 in the second half. They were like 36 or something, 36.4% in the first half. So that was... It was the game plan to, you know, generate those threes. They go a little bit of small ball because Clax wasn't effective. But on Spencer Dinwiddie, Nick, like uh, the, the Sixers got to like send Kyle Kuzma like uh, a fruit basket or something because like, <laughs> I don't know, ever since that moment, like he was speaking about Damon Sharp and Nick Claxton in terms of his lobs and the turnovers from game one. And you and Justin did a great game of recapping what was a pretty putrid performance from Spencer yet again. And yet he still said like, oh yeah, Clax probably could have caught that one. Oh, Damon's hands weren't good on that one. I'm like, my guy, you are one of the worst lob passes in the NBA of a guy that throws a, a couple of them per game. There was just like the self-awareness of, Kyrie Irving, like I don't know, that's the, the the comparison that comes to mind immediately. But like he was trying to look like Kyrie Irving with some of like the post up fadeaways that they're like airballed, and I'm just like, what kind of shot are you taking? Like he's normally a guy that screams high IQ player, and in terms of the good basketball that he has played, has been high IQ basketball. 
you know, dr- drive hard, kick the ball out, get the high percentage shots, facilitate well. He's not doing any of that, Nick. He's playing like the opposite of what Spencer normally does. It's sort of like we're getting the evil version twin of him, like evil Arbet in Community, and this is the version we're getting of Spencer Dimwitty, and it's like, what what is going on? Yeah, toxic Dimwitty right now. I think, you know, you talked about it and in the pick and roll that's such a huge part of what the nets have done especially in the second half of the season and generating offense and you know scoring and spencer doing what he's been a, a very hot and cold throughout his second nets you know stint but like we talked about it's limiting other players because now the sixers can just sit back and even when he does have opportunities to feel like to go to the rim he's settling for mid-range shots or he's hesitating and not hitting that open space and you're a point guard that's what you need to do you need to get downhill you know, you mentioned Kyle Kuzma. I think Joel Embiid is in Spencer doing what he's had. He just does not want to go at him. And when he does, it already feels like a miss before he puts a shot up. He's just not willing to initiate contact. And I get it. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is a huge human. But at the same time, it's the playoffs. You have to make plays. And we've seen you go at Joel Embiid before and draw contact and get to the free throw line over the course of your NBA career. And if you're not doing that right now, it's really hurting the team. And I keep mentioning Nick Claxton because... If Embiid is not having to come out, Clax is not getting the space or the opportunity to catch a lob or even get a pass to get a look. He's not a guy that's going to generate his own offense. He needs an advantage created for him. And then it just becomes essentially someone who's not providing you any offensive value. So essentially Spencer's killing two spots on the floor rather than one. Yeah, there was one time where he drove on Embiid and you know drove past him, and it was just like this is automatically going to be a miss. Like, there's no way yep. he's taking this now. Like, it's you know too late, better late than never. It was too late. Like, it was just yep. way too late. And it was, I think that because the Nets rely so heavily on Spencer Dimwitty that they go will go as far as he t- he takes them. Yep. You know, maybe Mikael Bridges and, Nick Cla- and and Cam Johnson are going to be good enough, and Cam Johnson had a career night tonight in terms of uh, for the playoffs. But it was just Spencer's... I, I don't know what's going on with him right now, and I, I, I'll give him credit because, like, he is normally, like, relatively self-aware, but, like, comments for hearing from him lately... Like it's weird. Just since this Kyle Kuzma weird beef, we've sort of seen this version of Spencer Dimity that is like foreign to us. Because like we've seen Spencer Dimity play a lot of basketball. You know, we've covered a lot of the games that he's played as a Brooklyn Net, if not pretty much all of them. And it's just like, what are we? What are we seeing here? This is just. It's almost like you have to rub your eyes or get a new pair of glasses or something. It's just like this. Just does not. This is not the Spencer Dimity that I know. And it's it's he's completely unreliable right now. And to top it all off, you know, in that third quarter, he made some terrible decisions defensively. And I don't know exactly what the Nets are trying to do every single possession, but it seemed like he was making the incorrect rotations. You know, he was there was one possession where they ended up triple teaming Joel Embiid, giving up a wide open three. There's another possession where Spencer came down to double team Tobias Harris, leaving Tyrese Maxey open in the corner, the hottest shooter on the Sixers. And it's just like those type of possessions really hurt the team. That third quarter stretch ended the game essentially because when the Nets went down, it was going to be incredibly difficult for them to come back given the amount of energy they exerted in the first half and given their shooting numbers. Like they're just not a great offensive team, especially if the three ball is not falling. So that stretch essentially ended the game for the most part. 
Yeah, the second half defense was certainly paled in comparison to the first half. It was just, there seemed to be greater synergy, greater awareness, greater timing, on the, and greater variability, greater unpredictability, just like just better execution all around. And then you sort of see mistakes from Spencer, from McCamill even, from a lot of guys. And it was just like, why is Tyrese Maxey getting wide open threes when he is the best three-point shooter on the on the Sixers team? And he had I more underst- threes than the entire Sixers team combined. And I look, and I understand, and and a lot of people have sort of said, like in the replies to some of my tweets, I'm like, the defense wasn't the problem. I'm like, like in the second half, it was. Like it, yeah. like yes, they still only scored 52 points, and if you're limiting the the, the 76 to to 96 points, you, you're gonna like get pretty close to a win. And this is, you know, maybe not a 50-50 win because I think you know, despite Harden being poor, despite Embiid being poor offensively, I thought he was really good defensively. Like, the, the Nets are a 40-60 proposition in this. So they win this game four five times out of ten at best because the second half was just utterly putrid. They needed to get at least 75% of what they did in the first half in the second half. And it was not necessarily night and day, but it was they got... 60% of it, maybe. There were moments. And, you know, when you're getting outscored by 10, you know, the second chance points, the rebounding, getting outscored by seven in the, the final quarter when you want to create a bit more momentum, create a bit more offensive generation. They didn't push the pace enough, I don't think, uh, in the second half either. Not, didn't create enough advantages. Also think that some of their transition defense wasn't great either. So I think that there was just a, enough things that the Nets didn't do well against a team where you need to do the little things when you are a, an inferior team in terms of talent you just got to do the little things well and the Nets didn't do enough of the little things well in that second half yeah and even in the first half they played really well but there was a couple opportunities in that second quarter where it felt like they could go up 10 they could go up 15 you know uh, I think Mikel Bridges was 0-4 from three in the first half Spencer Dinwiddie as we mentioned played his worst basketball in the first half and just guys weren't really able to step up other than Cam Johnson who essentially carried the offense for the entire first half. I think he had 24 of his 28 in the first, or maybe it was 22, 22, you know, in the first half, like that's a a good chunk of the scoring. It's just not getting enough contributions. And I think there's also some questionable coaching decisions in here, like rolling Joe Harris back out in the second half when he provided absolutely nothing, even though he is plus 19, which doesn't really make any sense. I have no idea how that stat makes any sense. Nick. I really don't because Joe Harris in the postseason might be one of the worst NBA players in NBA history. Like he, you, you give the, the quote, the drama quote, there's 82 games and players and there's 16 game players. Joe Harris is like a 75 game player. Like he's an 82 game player. Like he's just the opposite of a postseason performer. He like, the, the lights blinds him. He turns into, I don't know, he turns into just one of the worst three-point shooters. Like, he had, I think, a nice defensive play down low on doubling Joel Embiid. That was the only thing that earned that plus 19 somehow. But, like, he should just not be getting minutes. Like, yeah. let, let's just, like, put that out there. Like, throw Cam Thomas out there. Throw Edmund something out there. Throw Yuta Watanabe out there. But it just seems to me that, oh, this guy's got $90 million. This guy's, like, Sean Marks's guy. And we heard Adam Harrington like on Twitter the other day say that there's you know something that we're gonna f- we'll never find out about Cam Thomas as the reason why he's been relegated in the rotation. Adam Harrington, former Nets assistant head coach, Nets assistant sorry coach, um, before departing at the start of this offseason. So it's the the I don't think the coaching was totally off because I liked the first half the Nets going small ball and really sort of stretching out Joel Embiid a little bit, creating more offense that way and sort of taking him away from under the basket where he's 
you know, his dynamic best as a defender. And Dorian Finney-Smith was actually really yes. good in that first half. You know, eight points, three, six in the field, two or four from three, three boards, had an assist as well. But then he paled in comparison in, in the second half. He just lost his powers, didn't score at all, uh, missed all of his shots, uh, essentially. It was just the, the the first half and his rebounding, you know, was okay. But yeah, Joe Harris in postseasons, Nick, like I just, I, I can't see it. Like it's, it's beating... You're beating your head against a brick wall watching Joe Harris and giving him minutes in the postseason and expecting something different to happen other than paltry play. Like, he is just not a playoff guy. Throw something else out there for the love of God. Yeah, they needed more offensive creation. They needed more offensive firepower, especially with a three-point shot not falling. Give Cam Thomas a shot. You know, especially you need someone that can at least get into the in-between game. And I know Cam has his struggles defensively, but I would have loved to see him maybe just get a quick stint. You know, he messes up, he makes two mistakes, pull him from the game. I just think they needed to try to do something offensively to generate more because they were getting looks. Guys were just not hitting shots. So you have to go to something else in a game that you really had an opportunity to win. You know, we're not talking about game one where they were blown out. This was a game that was close. There you know, when Embiid came back in in the fourth quarter, it was a five-point game. Like, there, there's a real opportunity for them to win this, and they just couldn't execute, especially offensively. And then defensively, I think the Sixers did a nice job, especially Embiid, adjusting to the double team. Also, some Nets mistakes rotationally-wise, but also I feel like the Sixers had a better understanding what they were doing. Yeah, and I, I thought that the, they threw a bit of zone out there as well. I thought yeah. that their defense was was pretty positive too um, in allowing, you know, hiding some of the guys that aren't necessarily their better defensive performers. But yeah, the in terms of Jacques Vaughn and the Nets overall, like expecting a different result after trying the same thing over and over again is literally the definition of insanity. And that's like Joe Harris and, and other guys, you know, throwing up just a, a billion three balls rather than trying to get to the rim. Like, it's just, like, what, what are we doing here? Like, it, it just makes no sense. And... I've had some people sort of question, you know, whether the Cam Thomas believers or non-Cam Thomas believers, or you're somewhere in between. Like, there's statistics out there that I, you know, wanted to dive deep and try and find. And initially, I was like, oh, okay, maybe Cam doesn't really work well with the stars. But then I was like, okay, well, he, in this lineup alongside Clax, alongside Cam Johnson, alongside Mikael Bridges, they've only played like 18 minutes together, and they have like an 148 offensive rating. Again, that might have been in a game against. Orlando or whoever else or Detroit but like just if you you can hide Seth why can't you hide Cam as well like we did that in last year's postseason against Boston where we had Patty playing goddamn minutes and look it's it, it just feels like that I don't mind getting things wrong when you're trying new things but mm-hmm. when you're getting things wrong and doing the same thing over and over again like it's just it's it's stupidity it's dumbfounding Nick yeah, and I think if you're nervous about Cam Thomas's rotations, which I would be, I think that's an area he struggles is kind of understanding the team defense. Play him in the minutes of Joel Embiid's off the floor. You know, he didn't play the entire game. He played 37 minutes. Play him with Paul Reed's out there. You know, Cam Thomas was able to get some buckets on him in that final matchup against the Sixers in the end of the year. So, I don't know. Like you said, it's just kind of trying trying something new to generate offense, and Nets are lacking rim pressure to the highest extent right now. And a lot of that's Joel Embiid, but also that's guys just settling at times and also the talent and the skill sets being limited with this roster. Yeah, like how many guys can really get to the rim? Like Cam Johnson, that was uh, yeah, that disgusting. was getting that was getting to the rim. Like no, no, we can't expect everyone to like posterize Joel Embiid, but that was an insane play. And look, it it, it might be derelict in our duty as as analyzers of this game and podcasters to not give 
Cam Johnson the credit and open the episode with him. But I think the overriding emotion and feeling right now is frustration. And, and what are the feelings that have brought on that frustration? A lot of the things that the Nets did wrong, the coaching staff did wrong, the execution was wrong. So We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Maybe we should get to Cam Johnson, Nick, and give that man his flowers. Yeah, he's been awesome. And every time he makes a shot, he just kind of hears cha-ching. Like, it's just his contract continues to rise, and he's been awesome. 28 points, 11 of 19 from the field, 5, 11 from three, 1 of 2 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 steals, 1 block. You know, Justin and I talked about in the Game 1 recap, if they're going to spend so much time and energy and attention trying to stop Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson should have an opportunity to cook. And he did that in the first half. And, you know, the second half, some of it was the net and some of it was the Sixers. Yeah, and look, I, th- I think Cam Johnson's proving that in the postseason, what, what, he's like a third guy now on, on that, on a sort of, you know, decent if you have a If you have a really good number one, I think he could probably be your third guy. Yeah, like he could be, you know, a Tyrese Maxey, James Harden. He could be a, you know, Mikhail Bridges back in Phoenix when it was Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and, you know, whoever else. I, I think he can genuinely be that because his scoring is like, he's a three level scorer. Like, he might not tick all the boxes to the highest extent. He's a really good three point shooter. He has great size. He's physical. His mid range game and in between game is really coming together. His around the rim game and driving game is really starting to come through as well. And his size is just something that just really gives him an advantage against so many other players. Like, the guy's like 6'8, six, 6'9. Six, he can shoot over so many different mismatches. Like, how many guys that are like a, a two to four tweener are going to mm. like be able to defend him you know, with the, the amount of physicality and size. Not many guys are going to have that. And I think that's a, a credit to him and a credit to his flourishing game. It's just a, a, a bit of a shame that not many guys could sort of ride the coattails of, of what he was doing because he was outstanding in that first half. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at him, he's a guy, you create an advantage from him, you get him in a closeout situation. Now the defender has to make a decision. 
Are we going to close out hard and contest that three? And if we do, we're going to give him an opportunity to drive to the rim. And that's where he can hit the pull-up. He can hit the in-between. He can dunk on Joel Embiid, um, whatever it is. I mean, credit him. He's He did awesome. You know, this is his best game as a net because it's the most meaningful game he's played as a net. Obviously, they still lost the game, but really promising stuff from him. And hopefully it's a huge confidence booster for him moving forward. And he can continue to play at a really high level. I think... We talk about Clax's conditioning. I think I'm very interested to see Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson's conditioning over the summer, not only from a physical perspective, but also a mental perspective. Having that level of workload wears on you throughout the game. And I think at different points in this game, you saw it kind of wear on Mikel Bridges, some of his mistakes in this game. But Camp Johnson has actually you know, shown some improvement in that department, in my opinion, as the season's progressed. Yeah, he doesn't have the the burden on the defensive end that Mikael Bridges yep. does have. You know, Mikael's guarding James Harden or Tyrese Maxey for f- 41 minutes of the game. Cam and he's getting got, beat up on offense, too. Yeah, he, he really is. And, like, you know, Cam, Cam Johnson, like, a, a key play that could have got the Nets back into it was where Cam Johnson drives the ball and James Harden elbows, you know, Cam Johnson in the ribs, essentially. And, like, it was clearly, like, a, a deliberate foul to stop cam from from getting the two and then suddenly you know joel and b comes out of nowhere with a forceful block and tyrese maxi gets two because royce and like a couple you know half a second late on the block that wasn't the, the the play that changed the game it certainly didn't help there were a lot of things where like you know momentum shifters where the Sixers just came back and hit a three or there was a a shot clock violation shot clock violation felt like a really big play in this game. And it was interesting because I've seen in the past where it feels like they've removed the three after realizing the possession should have been dead and they didn't do it in this situation. I don't know if it's because it's the offensive rebound, but it feels like it's happened to the nets where there's a clear shot clock violation. Now that entire possession should no longer exist because it was evident. <laughs> Like, it was as clear as day. Like, I don't know what the hell we're doing here. Like, there's rules in basketball. And even you know people who don't understand the rules of basketball, if you hear a shot clock go off, that means probably, okay, we've got to turn it over or do something. Like, it, even children would understand yeah. that. So that was just idiotic. And look, I, I get that the, the refereeing, the officiating, the home crowd, bias, advantage, like, it's a lot. And look, it didn't help in terms of the Nets. Was it like a 12-point advantage would have got the Nets like that? No, it might have gotten like five or six extra points here or there. But at the end of the day, I think the Nets were their own worst enemy. That was compounded on top of that. Like it, it just, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help when you're struggling to generate your own offense. You're really fighting for your life on defense and doing all the right things. And you do do all the right things. And then suddenly a three comes out of it, despite the fact that you've defended really well for 24 seconds. You got the board. You've done all those different little things. It's just like, come on, man. Like really, like the, it feels like the advantage should be to the lesser team. But the Nets just seem to always, not always, but it feels like always get the, the bad rub of the green. Yeah, and I think um, the officiating, especially in the first half, I thought was solid. As the game kind of progressed, it became more frustrating. I think anytime you go against a player like Joel Embiid, who is a giant human and is falling down from contact from someone who's giant just... magic carp, that's what he yeah. is. Look, he's a. <laughs> I, I gave him credit earlier, Nick, but I had to butt him because yeah. he's a likely MVP and all these sort of things. But when Royce O'Neal's probably five inches shorter than you, uh, 50 kilos, 100 pounds less than you, and you're flopping around like you caught a new magic carp out in the ocean of Pokemon world, come on, man. Like, show some goddamn pride. Show some goddamn accountability for yourself as a seven-foot human with a level of physicality. And then, like, he just falls down 
way too easily. If there's a light breeze in, inside Wells Fargo Center, I'd be afraid of Joel Embiid flying out of the arena. Like, it's disgusting, man. Like, just keep your goddamn feet. Like, you are genuinely one of the best players in the NBA right now. You're the likely MVP. Show some goddamn pride, man. Like, please. No, I think that's what makes it more frustrating is because he is so skilled. He is so good. And he decides to do these just cheap little gimmicky things. Like, you're flopping against wings. You're not... If it's Dayron Sharp out there, at least I can believe it to an extent. Like, he's another big human. But you're flopping against Royce O'Neal. You're flopping against Nick Claxton, who is skin and bones. And and then on the other end, you're complaining about calls when you're called for a foul. It's just like, come on, man. Like, have some reason. You know, I think that's also why watching the Sixers is extremely annoying because they flop and they also want every call on the other end of the floor. It's like... Give me a break. And like, yes, they're the better team and they're probably going to win the series, but it doesn't doesn't take away from what they're doing out there. Yeah, look, if we're to be try to be objective in the, in the heat of the moment in, in terms of analyzing the 76ers and, and them going forward, you know, they're likely to, to sweep us or take it five. You know, I, I, we predicted that, you know, in our playoff preview sort of um, roundup. But also in terms of the Sixers going forward, you're not really getting many positive signs from this series overall, other than Tyrese Maxey is a bloody gun, and I think he can really exploit teams going forward because he's just so skilled, so shifty. Joel Embiid can be an incredible defensive force, even when his offense isn't on, and a wonderful rebounder at that. He can continue to impact, but like, it's just like, is that a, enough to like win a championship? Look, good, good luck to him. Um, I'm, I'm, in fact, not good luck to him. I, yeah, I hate the Sixers. Say, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll take that back immediately. But in saying that, look, bad luck to yep. you. I hope you shoot the worst three point percentage in the next two rounds of the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. But look, we, we need to look in the mirror as Nets fans here, Nick, and, and look at how our team's going. Look, it's it's not amazing. You know, there's a, a lot of things that went wrong, and it's weird how the Nets were so close and so much in this matchup against a team that is a championship contender, like. In terms of the, rating this overall performance from the Nets, it was like a five and a half out of 10, maybe a six. Like there were so many guys that performed subpar, including your second to fourth best players. You had one good performance in terms of individually, and the Nets still only go down by just over double digits. So there was, it, it reminds us of me of, and, and of, of when we were doing analysis of like, well, if the Nets had like their second or third best players playing okay, maybe they get this win against Denver and, and all those different little things here and there. It's just like, you're not going to get wins with the way the Nets are playing right now. Like whether it's three ball or what, like game plans. Okay. It's just execution and just doing like better, just playing better. Like I hate to be simplistic and reductive, but the Nets just got to play better for longer. And you know, that's on both ends of the floor. And that's been their problem, you know, since the trade deadline, they have not been able to have a great four quarters, you know, even in some of their blowout wins, it feels like they let teams back in, you know, in that fourth or third quarter. And it's like you said, you know, it's simple, but it's execute, you know, execute the defensive game plan and also hit shots. You know, you're a team that wants to shoot, you know, 43s. Well, if you shoot 31%, that's not good enough. You at least need to shoot 36%. Or, you know, in the last game, it felt like that was going to be a wasted three-point performance. And it was, because if you got that tonight, you win the game. And now you're going back to Brooklyn 1-1. And sometimes it's as simple as that. And there's a lot of other avenues where they could have been better, but shooting was one that really hurt them in this game. And not to say the Sixers were great, but they made more shots and they did what they had to do. 
Yeah, the look, the the Nets had an E field goal percentage of like sixty five in in game one, like one of the best ever in a loss, and yep. they lost by like twenty. And then it's just like, well, this doesn't fill me with confidence going into this game. I'm like, well, if the Nets can get hot from three, then I think that like again, the, there's a simplicity to just this game, to to basketball in general. Hit your shots, hit the ones that are worth more one more point, and the Nets did that for a period. Like they went like. Uh, at one point, they're like two of thirteen, and as I alluded to, they were like five of twenty in like the second half, something like that. So, I just think that that it's it, it, it it's just how it is. Like if the Nets are going to shoot the three ball well enough and defend, like it was just game one was didn't defend well enough, gave up too many buckets, shot okay, defensively wasn't there. This game was defensively there for half of it or three quarters of it and offensively there for half of it like it's just like you, you got to get a more consistency and more production for longer periods against a team that is just a, a lot better and like there was a a lot of statistical indicators we can go through rebounding fast break points and points in the paint all that different all those different sort of things but you know, if the nets were just hitting the three ball a little bit more they'd probably get this win like i i just think it might be as simple as that nick yeah, it really is. You know, they hit four more threes as a tie game goes overtime, hit five more threes, they win the game. You know, maybe they don't call that, they call that shot clock violation. They hit four more threes and they win. You know, it's some sometimes as simple as that. I think, again, it kind of getting back to what you were saying, it's the mental lapses. It's those stretches and those runs that really just lose you the game. And that's what happened in that third quarter and even in the fourth quarter a little bit. They just, they can't steady the ship. You know, it feels like when a run starts for the other team or momentum starts, the Nets have a very hard time in stopping it. And that's some of that's talent level, some of that's experience, some of that's coaching, kind of all of the above. Where do we go from here, Nick? You know, as you know, just we're going back to Barclays, going back to Brooklyn. What needs to change? Where do the Nets stand going forward? What is the what's the mindset? What do the Nets want to get out of this series now that they're 2-0 down? And, you know, it's it never happens where you, you come back from that, especially with the, the status of this Nets team. Like, what is the mindset? What are you hoping that the Nets get out of this series? What are you looking for individually or holistically overall? Yeah, I think what you're looking for is your best players to play better. As you alluded to, you know, Cam Johnson was good enough for the Nets to win tonight. Hard to say many other guys in the team were. You know, you look at Royce O'Neal, as I mentioned, couldn't hit a shot. You know, Nicholas Claxton, a guy that we've raved about all season long, had a bad game. You know, really didn't have much of an impact on either end of the floor. Mikel Bridges, after having a 30-point game in game one, wasn't able to hit many shots, just wasn't as impactful. Did have seven assists, though, so I'll give him credit for that. And I even thought Mikel just made some mental mistakes offensively and defensively in this game. You know, got blown by Tyrese Maxey, got caught ball-watching, and DeAnthony Mellon hit a three. Just... Those little tiny mistakes we talk about all the time because there's just not much room for error. You know, they just have to be almost perfect in every quarter and every minute and be super locked in. And that's a hard ask, especially for a new team that doesn't have the playoff experience or, you know, in Mikel's case, he might have the experience, but not in this role. So it's just a, a lot for these guys. And I think overall, they just have to be better more consistently throughout the entire game and force the Sixers to play a really good game to beat them. You know, the Sixers weren't great tonight, and they won. And credit them for having better players, but at the end of the day, it wasn't like they were out there shining. The Nets could have easily won this game, and like I said, go back to Brooklyn 1-1, and not that we expect them to win the series, but at least put some pressure on and gain more playoff experience. 
Yeah, I think I look back to, well, in terms of, you know, how do the Nets win this series? What are we looking to get out of this? You know, it's it's not going to be a win. The, the odds were inflated, all that sort of thing. It's just like, I sort of harp back to that. I'm like, okay, well, I want to see Mikhail continue to prove himself as a, you know, a, a genuine, you know, con- like option on a solid enough team. Cam Johnson continue to show something. Nick Claxton to bounce back. Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't know. And part of me doesn't really care. Like, you know, in terms of, you know, he is a, a fringy sort of, you know, rotation guy. Like, is he a backup sort of guy? That's what he was in Dallas. That's what he was in, in Washington for periods and stuff. It's just like, I don't really like care about what Spencer does going forward. I think what he does will impact the team in, greatly because he's going to have such elevated, you know, responsibilities in terms of his playmaking and, and how he gets guys involved, as you alluded to. But I also want to see like experimentation. You know, a lot of the times, we've discussed before where it's just like, why are we experimenting here? Like this, what experimenting for the, exp- for the sake of experimenting? Well, look, I don't really care about Daron Sharp minutes, but you know, Cam Thomas, Yuta Watanabe, you know, Edwin Sumner, these are three guys that could give you something like experiment with one of them. Like I'm obviously uh, Cam Thomas is the guy that sticks out for everyone, but like Utah, you know, is a guy that can just bring you a bit of spark energy, can hit some three balls. Maybe some like, maybe help on the boards a little bit. Yeah, maybe like small ball five where you just have like Utah, DFS, Cam, Jay, you know, and, and yep. all a combination there to sort of just give you a bit of something rather than just having a huge burden on Royce in, in that department. Or maybe throw Edmund Sumner out there because the Nets in terms of their penetrating the ball and getting out in transition, they were outscored in fast break points tonight. That should not happen yep. against a team that is a truly like, they're a slow team. Yep. Like in terms of the way they like. Substantially slower than the Nets. And that's that's just a, a blight on the Nets overall in terms of one statistical indicator. But yeah, that's what Edmund Sumner can give you. So we'll see how it goes, Jack Nick. Second chance points, Jack, eighteen to zero. That is and a, huge. That's a, a lot of that's just offensive rebounds because yeah. we just got absolutely murdered in that department. And I expect that to continue happening because look, is a missed three ball like essentially a turnover for for the Nets in in some instances? Like when it comes to Joe Harris, yes. Like and then when it comes to Spencer Dinwiddie, sometimes yes. So I think that. There's a, a lot that's that needs to be changed for the Nets to really, you know, be in this. But I'm I'm looking for individual things, individual glimpses that might lead to a, a collective greater good. So we'll see how we go. But you know, this one. I got just one a, quote from Jacques Vaughn. This is via Eric Slater on Twitter. Am he I going to like this one, Nick? Am I going <laughs> to like this one? Am I going to be very, very annoyed at the the bloke who has the same name as me? He asked Jacques Vaughn if he was considering going to Cam Thomas with the Nets struggling to score. Vaughn responded, if I felt we were struggling to get looks, maybe that could be an answer. But I thought we got good looks. I thought they were makeable shots. Is Cam on the back of my brain? Yes. And I know that. Could he play when we get back to Brooklyn? Yes. But I didn't think we were struggling to get looks. The ball just didn't go in. Well, you know. Well, if the ball doesn't go in, that means you need to find someone who can put the ball in the basket, Jacques. Like, ah, like. I, I think and I'm that, not saying Cam Thomas is the answer. I just think no. the reasoning on that quote is just, I just, it doesn't really make sense. And at the same t- point in time, it's the playoffs. You know, if someone is one of nine or not knocking down their shots, there's a reason the Sixers are leaving them open. And you just can't necessarily expect it to change, especially when tendencies have shown us certain guys in this team, when they don't get hot early in the game, they just don't hit their shots. And I'm referring to Royce O'Neal and not to say Royce shouldn't have played, but he was a guy you were depending on to hit threes. And if he's not going to hit them, he's not going to hit them. We've talked about it before. He was really like a 50, 50, three and D guy because there was games where he was awesome from three and then games where he had one to zero makes. Yeah. There's a semblance of logic in it because I agree with the fact that that's worth getting the looks, but 
they were missing the look so consistently in the second half where it's just like, okay, they might be good looks, but and analytically and all of that sort of stuff. But in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. You throw the stat sheet and the computers out the window and just find guys that can just give you a bucket. Like Seth was was decent enough in that yeah. sort of department. I can't and, believe I at one point in the game in my head I'm asking for Seth Curry to play, especially over Joe Harris. I was one. I'm just like, should Seth play over Spence here? And like, maybe yeah. throw some. Like, you maybe you don't. You can't have Seth and Cam out there at the same time. Maybe you can. I don't know. That's not my Probably job. Not, sort of... But you go with one of them and give him a chance. Exactly. Like, play Cam over Joe. Like, like Joe Edmund or Utah. I, I just like Joe Harris should not be getting minutes in the postseason. Like, in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Like, cool. Do it in Atlanta. Do it wherever else, man. Like, I've been your biggest, one of your biggest fans. I've been a Joe Harris stand before, but like. The logic of the the quote there, like there's in the idiocy and 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 nonsense nonsense, there is some sense, but at the end of the day, like you're, you're getting good looks, but you're not making them, so you're still missing. Like, w- w- what are we doing here, Nick? Yeah, it's like uh, you're worrying more about, I guess, the process instead of the results. And I think in the playoffs, you have to worry about the result because the process is more important in the regular season. You yeah, know, you you work on the process in the regular season to get like different variations so you can throw different things here and there. Like the Nets, uh, outside of Mikhail, I think Dinwiddie hit like one or two and, and Cam. Like you're getting some open middies here. And that's where it's just like, that's probably Cam Thomas's best shot right now. Probably Seth Curry's best shot right now other than getting fouled on three-pointers. Uh, <laughs> but in, in saying that, it's just like, Let's do something different, like because sometimes unpredictability, and they did that defensively. I thought that the unpredictability at throwing, you know, the timing of the the double teams and that sort of thing, especially in the first half, unpredictability just is is a variable that can get you some points, that can get you some stops, and in a a game where you need them and the result matters more than the process, you got to do some weird shit sometimes, Nick. Like you just have to. Yeah, you really do. It's the playoffs and you have nothing to lose, especially now down 2-0. You know, I feel like game game one is really where they should have maybe tried some weird stuff for game two. You know, this is like you're in Philly, you know, not to say that it's not must win. Every playoff game is must win. But at the same time, you know, the games at home are substantially more important. And you just needed to do something a little funky. You know, Vaughn talked about doing funky stuff. We haven't necessarily seen that offensively. We've seen that defensively. Offensively, it's been pretty much live or die by the three. It worked in game one in terms of the offensive production in terms of scoring. But at the same time, the turnovers killed them in game one, too. So it's just like they're not checking all the boxes and the boxes they don't check are the ones that are killing them. And that's what we talked about in game one with Justin. And that's what I'm talking about now. It's just whatever is going wrong for the Nets. It doesn't just go a little wrong. It goes wrong to the highest extent. And that's tonight shooting 31 percent from three on 13 of 42 on probably 30 wide open looks onwards and upwards to game three maybe not upwards onwards and something to game three we'll pray for some hope maybe we'll get a mikel 40 piece whatever it is jack always a pleasure big thanks for everybody listening check the buzz on all stream platforms